Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey, good morning. Good morning. This pulpit is new. Last time I was here, we were still using a table. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, hey, so, I mean, I don't even know what to say about myself now. Good grief. Um, I, tell you, I will tell you this. I, I think I've said this every time that I've gotten a chance uh, to preach here at Redemption, and I've been fortunate to do it probably half a dozen times now since you've been at church. Um, and the absolute greatest um, experience of my now not so illustrious 15-year career in ministry uh, has been Byron and Ashley. I mean, the things that they have done, and Bill and Hannah in the Heights, but Byron and Ashley are just the best, and y'all know that. Uh, and so um, it is, I'm, I am not a, a physical parent. My wife and I do not have kids. Um, uh, God knew we would have daughter churches <laughs> instead of physical children. Um, and, and my dad told me one time, he said, um, Ryan, the greatest joy uh, I will ever have as a father is to see my children outgrow me in skill, in ability, in influence. Um, and um, at the time I was like, well, well that's kind of cool because, I mean, I think you're pretty great, Dad. So the fact that I'm going to be better than you, it's <laughs> pretty great. Uh, but I guess I didn't really understand it. And not having physical children, I wasn't sure I would ever understand it. Um, but I do understand it when I think of Byron and Ashley and Redemption Church. And so uh, I love you and I pray for you. And I, I say this every time I'm here and every time I'm ever with you, I will say this. You are an answer to prayer. Amen. Every person sitting in these seats are an answer to prayer. Because nine years ago, when God called me to plant a church in Houston, it, there was never supposed to be just one. God called us to start a movement. Um, and this church is that movement. Uh, and so um, I'm so honored and privileged to be here. Um, I, I do bring greetings from your village church, from your sister church, Village Heights, Bill and Hannah, who I get to be with next Sunday, which is great. Um, and of course, your mother church, Village Houston, Pastor Carista, she sends her love uh, and her prayers. And so it's really great to be with you this morning. So um, Byron, of course, has asked me to, Pastor Byron has asked me to preach best sermon ever. Well, this is like the third time. And so, like, I don't preach every Sunday, so I'm running out of best sermons. <laughs> um, and so, like, uh, as I was preparing for this week, honestly, the last couple of months, I've kind of been like, well, what? I, I don't know that I've got a really best sermon now. I think the best one I got, I preached here last year. Um, and I, I hadn't, hadn't preached a really good one since, I guess. And um, but it, it's really weird as I was um, as I was preparing for this morning and, and thinking and praying and um I feel like the Lord um, put together a message with me that's maybe not my best sermon ever, but it's the best sermon I can preach today. Uh, because it is, um, this message is coming out of the overflow 
of what Christ has been doing in me, what the Holy Spirit's been doing in me for at least the last year, maybe longer. Um, and so this is very, um, for you that don't know my sermon style, this will either be great or it will not be great, but it, it's abnormal for me. And so, because normally I, I pray and I say, God, give me a passage and God gives me a passage from the scriptures, which I believe is for that church. And then I preach that passage. Um, but, uh, but today it's, um, like I said, it's all out of the overflow of what the Holy Spirit's been doing in me for a while. So um, I, hope, I hope this blesses you this morning. Let's pray together. And as I like to do uh, when I preach is uh, take a moment for you to pray for you, that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart, will awaken your spirit, will clarify your mind uh, to what it is that the Spirit is saying to us this morning. And then we'll take the same amount of time and you get to pray for me. Uh, that I'm able to adequately express what it is that I, that I have felt like the Spirit has prepared me to say today. So let's pray. You pray for you. Now take the same amount of time and pray for me, please. To you, O Lord, we lift our soul, our God in whom we trust. Let us never be ashamed. Open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. It is an interesting point in history that we're living in, especially as the church of Jesus Christ. Everyone in our culture and pretty much everyone in the world because of social media has a platform now to have a voice. We have all been given a voice and us in our, in, in our country, we have laws that enable us to have a voice and that free us from governmental persecution because of our voice. And I'm, I'm very grateful for those just in the past year who have been choosing to use their voice to speak up and speak out about abuse and neglect, particularly within the Me Too movement. And every generation has its own unique challenges. And in every generation, the church of Jesus Christ, that's us, has to decide what we are going to stand for and what we are going to have a voice about. Now, it's, an, it's unfortunate, but at the very same time, extremely human uh, reality that, however, that the body of Christ... We are unfortunately often divided on what and when and how to speak out and how to use our voice. And there are some people they want to say, well, if that group of Christians would just read their Bible more, um, it's really more complicated than that. There's a lot of reasons to disagree, and I think even Jesus knew that. I personally think that's one of the th reasons he tells his followers in John chapter 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. He didn't say if your theology is right, they'll know you're my disciples. He didn't say if you wear certain clothes or if you play the right kind of music at church, they'll know you're my disciples. He said love, the love you have for each other, the love on days when you disagree, the love on days where you, you can't get a common mind about something, uh, that's when 
the witness of who I am among you will be clearest is when you have love one for another. And what better time to show love than when we disagree? This direction to love is even meant to love each other when we have political disagreements, believe it or not. Ooh, it got quiet. (laughs) And in the U.S., we know all about political disagreements. And we don't have to look any farther than Jesus' own disciples to see this. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, a tax collector. That means, as a Jewish man, that he would have actually been a complete right-wing sellout of the oppressive Roman occupational government of the day. The Jews at that time were not self-governing, but they were vassals of Rome. And so Matthew was an agent of this outside government. But then you also have this guy who was one of Jesus' disciples named Simon the Zealot. And the the Zealot is is absolutely what he was. And now you and I probably are not familiar with the term Zealot. We're probably familiar with the term that the news uses. and, And that term is terrorist. Simon was a terrorist. He was a left wing freedom fighter who regularly killed and murdered government, Roman government officials and other Jews who sided with them. And so you have Matthew, who's a sellout to the oppressive government, and Simon, who's a terrorist to that government. And yet Jesus called them both together around the same campfire to follow the same person. And in relationship with Jesus and each other, love showed up. Love came. They developed a love for each other despite their very real differences. And so it's important enough for us to remember that love supersedes even political differences today. This church, Redemption Church, you have a voice. God has given you a voice. And you individuals in these seats who are members of this corporate body, you have voices. And there are times when we cannot be silent. Christ has placed us in this world to be his witnesses. People who declare the kingdom of God is different than the ways of this world. When we begin to follow Jesus... When you get saved, when God comes into your heart, when Jesus saves you and forgives you of your sin and you're adopted into the family of God, you're also given citizenship in a new kingdom. You are made a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that citizenship becomes your first and primary citizenship. And then the citizenship of whatever nation you're a part of here on the earth comes second to that. Because the ways of this world are violent. They're selfish. They're dismissive. The ways of this world turns away strangers, ignores the lesser, and does what is convenient. Those are not the virtues of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of deference to each other, a kingdom that is attentive to the the needs of others, equal to all, willing to do the hard things. Our country, the kingdom of God country, is a country whose economy is love, whose leader is love, and whose culture is love. I'm going to say that again because you need to get that this morning. The kingdom of God is a country whose economy is love, whose leader is love, and whose culture is love. That's the kingdom to which we belong. We And we are ambassadors of that kingdom into the world that we live in. 
And so as ambassadors, we must have and use our voice. You have been given a voice. But we cannot go about speaking everything we want, whenever we want, to whoever we want. The scriptures give us guidelines on how to use our voice in the world. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. For the rest of my time that I have with you, I want to share with you five guidelines if you're going to use your voice. Five guidelines if you're going to use your voice. Guideline number one. If you are going to be a voice in the world, if you are going to use your voice and be a voice in the world, you start by being a voice to yourself. If you are going to use your voice in the world, in the world, start by being a voice to yourself. Matthew chapter 7 verses 3 through 5 say this. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We humans, particularly we who are driven by a moral code or extreme sense of justice, we have this propensity to immediately call out sin and injustice whenever we see it and attempt to fix inequality that we see in others. And yet Jesus says that's not where we start. We don't start with other people. We start with ourselves. Self-reflection is an often difficult and yet very necessary practice for mature followers of Jesus. We have to be able to look inside of ourselves and address our own shortcomings and the sin patterns that linger within us. By holding up a mirror to our own inner lives, we are able to address things that could someday come back and hinder or destroy our voice later on. We need to do this. And the need to do this hits all of us, particularly we who have the loudest and biggest platforms. If you look out over the history of our country, you can see over the last several decades in particular, big name preachers who have had big time falls. And too many of those big name preachers with those big time falls have fallen because they were either unable or unwilling to examine their own shortcomings and address them. And as a matter of fact, some of them ignored them completely. And as a result, they made their way to the surface in a way that damaged their families, their jobs, their reputation, and their witness to the place that it could never be repaired. But this message is not for big name preachers. This message is for us everyday church people. Because when you use your voice in your workplace, but don't think about how you talk to your boss or your coworkers, it's time to pause and take a minute. When you're very riled up and decide to call your senators over displacement of families at the border, but you ignore your own children, it's time to pause and to take a minute. When you're telling off your cousin for purchasing lottery tickets, but you haven't put a dime in the offering yet this year, it's time to pause 
and take a minute. None of this is to say that if you don't have shortcomings, you can't use your voice. If that was the case, none of us would ever speak. But it is to say, when you look at others through the filter of your own weaknesses, you act differently. You begin to approach them with much more grace and mercy and love because that is exactly what you would want them to do if they knew about you what you knew about you. So be a voice to yourself first. The second guideline is if you're going to have a voice, be a voice from inside the body of Christ. If you're going to have a voice, be a voice from inside of the body of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 say this, But as for you, this is Paul talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul, writing to his spiritual son Timothy in this letter, it's one of his last correspondences that we have. And so he's giving, us some, he's giving Timothy some final directions here. And he says to him, the scriptures are to be used to teach, to rebuke, to correct and train in righteousness the servants of God and to thoroughly equip them for good works. As people of the kingdom guided by the Spirit, and instructed by the Scriptures, it is incumbent upon us to use our voices for the benefit of each other in the kingdom of God. It makes no sense for us to try to convince people who do not believe in the power and the guidance of the Scriptures by quoting Scriptures at them. The life that is in the scriptures for the non-believer is the light that is shining out of you once you have put those scriptures into you and into practice. Those teachings get instilled in us as we participate in and use our voices as a part of the body of Christ. There are too many people in, in the Christian world today trying to play lone wolf and speak for God and for the church when they're not a part of a local church. It is vital that we are a part of the local body that uses the scriptures to lovingly do what Paul says here, to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us. This is one of the places where our voice gets its power and is honed in truth. The spiritual life was never meant to be lived in a vacuum. And Jesus demonstrated this by always having people around him and being in constant relationship with others. Our beliefs, our doctrines, our theologies are supposed to be learned here, wrestled with here, thought over here, talked about here, among the brethren, the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, so that we can talk them out lovingly in safety and receive guided correction. 
This is the work we do together. And it keeps the substance of our voice rich with truth and supported by love. One of the things that I know I love most about this church is that your pastors encourage and facilitate opportunities for this type of growth. Plug in here. Mature your voice here. It is so embarrassing, not to mention potentially damage to our witness, when we go off talking about things that we know very little about and then get smacked down by someone who is much more prepared. Submit your voice to the work of the church to teach and train and correct you when you're wrong. This will only make your voice stronger. The third guideline. If you're going to be a voice, don't miss what the Spirit is doing. If you're going to be a voice, do not miss what the Spirit is doing. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 58 says this. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. This is the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He was the first Christian killed for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what has happened here is that the religious leaders of his day were unable to recognize the Spirit's move in the life of Stephen. Stephen didn't look like them. He was a Hellenistic Jew, which meant even though he was Jewish ethnically, he grew up in a Greek town, spoke Greek, it was, his, was his native language. He was a follower of Jesus. He was full of the Spirit. He performed signs and wonders, but he did not act like the religious authorities expected a spiritual person would or should act. And then when he spoke in the authority of Jesus, they had enough. The religious authorities had a very well-defined idea of who God was and what God would do and what God would not do. They had a framework in which, uh, inside of which they were convinced God would constrain himself. What God had done through Jesus, however, was and was doing through the early church blew the doors off their religious framework. It destroyed the box they were trying to contain God in. But instead of realizing that it was God doing the work and moving their boundaries out, they chose to deny it and to kill the messenger. In today's church, there are a lot of voices saying that we need to be standing up for righteousness. And as I'm talking about using your voice, I obviously believe that that's true. We do need to be a voice for what God says is right. The problem is that so many people who are screaming, stand up for righteousness, they're acting like the religious authorities in Stephen's time did. They have a very limited and defined view 
of who God is and what He is willing to do. And instead of prayerfully considering and weighing out the different, a different expression of faith in Jesus, they decry them as false and godless and discard them out of hand, even persecuting fellow Christians because they don't recognize them as such. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't use your voice to automatically dismiss or tear down something because you don't understand it or it doesn't look like uh, what you're used to. Don't dismiss out of hand practices or lines of thought other Christians have just because they don't immediately fall within the boundaries of where you think God is. Test it. Study it. Examine it. Give it good consideration. Pray about it. Talk with wise and trusted leaders. And if you find it lacking or even wrong, then disregard it. But if you do that, then you have done so with due diligence and with all information and Christ-like love to those whom are different. And I can tell you from experience that what you may end up finding at times is new practices and theologies that will enrich your faith and it'll strengthen your voice. Be sensitive to where the Spirit may be doing things differently than you're used to. Guideline number four. If you're going to use your voice, do so with humility. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12-15 says this, I thank Him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithfully, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ." The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is Paul talking about his life and talking about himself. And Paul knew it and so do we. Arrogance sucks. Arrogance is the worst. Nobody likes arrogant people. Arrogant people don't like arrogant people because they take all the attention out of the room. And so Paul knew this, and this is why over and over again he reframes himself in humility, and he does this by remembering who he was before Jesus, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, all of Jesus and his church. And then he saves the very best for last and says, I was the foremost sinner. I was the biggest sinner anywhere. Paul wasn't being self-deprecating and saying this or falsely humble. He was speaking truthfully and being really humble. Sometimes we forget how terrible we were before Jesus and how terrible we would be without him. How self-absorbed we were, how greedy we were, how we were addicted and merciless and unloving. It is vital that we remember these things. Not so that we can beat ourselves down and heap shame on ourselves, but so that we can remain humble. Humility keeps us in right relationship with God. It forces us to look at our lives through the lens of what Jesus has done for us. 
Humility is the filter through which we see our lives through God's goodness, not our own. Humility is the filter by which we see our lives through God's goodness and not our own. So if you're going to be a voice, be a humble one. And humble doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean getting run over. It doesn't mean sitting quietly in the corner. It means knowing that your power and your authority are not self-generated, but they are God-provided. It also means knowing and accepting that you are one voice of many that God is using. And that doesn't make your voice any less special or less important. It just reminds you that there is strength in numbers. Remember who you are. Remember who he is. And remember what he has done for you. And then speak with a voice humbly submitted to God. Final guideline is this. Guideline number five. If you're going to be a voice, be a voice that points people to Jesus. If you're going to be a voice, be a voice that points people to Jesus. John chapter 1, 19 through 23 says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, there is no greater news, friends. There is no greater announcement. There is no greater words that you can share than this. And that is Jesus Christ has come and he has brought the kingdom of God with him. There is no greater words that you can ever say greater. There are no words greater than Jesus Christ has come and he has brought the kingdom of God with him. The coming of Jesus means that God has fulfilled his promises of salvation and it is now available to all. The God of the universe is now adopting humanity into his family. Sins are now being forgiven. Grace and mercy are now being poured out freely. And the coming of the kingdom provides Provides for us all a better way. A better way to treat your neighbor. A better way to treat the poor. A better way to see the foreigner, the widow, the orphan. The kingdom of God treats us all. Young, old, black, white, male, female, doesn't matter. Treats us all the same before God. The kingdom treats us as equal. It is a way of generosity that shuns greed. And it shuns scarcity mentalities. It's a kingdom of honor, a kingdom of respect, a kingdom of dignity. It is a way that offers the best for you. A way of wholeness and health for your entire being. If you're going to use your voice, use it for Jesus. Proclaim him and his way. 
Let him and the ethics of his kingdom inform your politics, inform how you treat others, how you think about issues, inform the words you use, and ensure your voice always directs the world around you to him. So here's my challenge for us this morning. Use your voice wisely. Use your voice. God has given you a voice. God has put you here for a reason. Use your voice, but use it wisely. You do not have to attend every argument that you're invited to, even on Facebook and Twitter. Instead, submit your voice to the guidelines that I've laid out for you this morning. Speak first to yourself. Speak from within the body of Christ. Don't miss what the Spirit is doing. Be humble and speak to point people to Jesus. If you do that, you will find your voice and you will find that both individually and collectively, we will be more effective and we will be filled with joy. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.